नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय टुडे वी आर रीडिंग फ्रॉम कैंटो सिक्स चैप्टर फाइव चैप्टर फाइव इज एंटाइटल नारद मुनि कर्स्ट बाय प्रजापति दक्ष टुडे वी आर ऑन टेक्स्ट ट्वेंटी फोर सभूय पांचजन्याभूय पांचजन्याजेन पुत्रानजनयदक्ष जनयदक्षजन पुत्रानजनयदक्षलाश्वान्सहस्रिनूय पांचजन्याजेन पुत्रानजनयदक्ष प्रजापति भूय अगेन इन द वूम ऑफ हिज वाइफ असिकनी और पंचजनी अजेना बाय लॉर्ड ब्रह्मा परिसांत्वित बीइंग पैसिफाइड पुत्रान सन्स अजनयत बिगॉट दक्ष प्रजापति दक्ष सवलाश्वान नेम द सवलाश्वाज सहस्रीन नंबरिंग वन थाउजेंड Translation and purport by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Shrila Prabhupad. Translation: When Prajapati Daksha was lamenting for his lost children, Lord Brahma pacified him with instructions, and thereafter Daksha begot one thousand more children in the womb of his wife Panchajani. This time, his sons were known as the Shavalashwas. Purport: Prajapati Daksha was so named because he was very expert in begetting children. The word daksha means expert. First, he begot ten thousand children in the womb of his wife, and when the children were lost, when they returned home back to Godhead, he begot another set of children known as the Savalashwas. 
Prajapati Daksha is very expert in begetting children and Narada Muni is very expert in delivering all the conditioned souls back home, back to Godhead. Therefore, the materialistic experts do not agree with the spiritual expert Narada Muni. But this does not mean that Narada Muni will give up his engagement of chanting the Hare Krishna mantra. Om Ajnanati Mirandhasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Shri Chaitanya Manobhishtam Sthapitam Yena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadati Svapadantikam Mukam Karoti Vachalam Pangum Langayate Girim Yat Kripata Maham Vande Shri Guru Dinatarinam Vanchakalpa Tarubhyascha Kripa Sindhu Bhyayevacha Patitanam Pavanebhyo Vaishnavebhyo Namo Namaha Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhara Shri Vasadi Gaura Bhakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare 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 Krishna So we are continuing the chapter Narad Muni cursed by Prajapati Daksha and over the past few weeks we have seen how um, Narad Muni actually goes and preaches to the 10,000 sons of Daksha and how being very self-realized they were already purified because of doing austerities and listening to the hearing the instructions of Narad Muni and the allegory that he explained it's very difficult for ordinary people to understand the allegory but using their intelligence they could completely understand the allegory which Narad Muni was explaining to them and because of that they actually gave up their pursuit of uh, begetting children and becoming Prajapatis themselves, but they actually renounced everything and went back home, back to Godhead. And hearing this, you know, feeling the loss of his children, Daksha was very, very agitated and very, very upset and frustrated, as we can see over here, that he was lamenting because he lost his sons. So it's not that they were dead. They had actually become self-realized, but for, for according to Daksha, they were gone. They were not there for him to... Uh, to fulfill the purpose for which he had sent them, actually to do those austerities. So then Daksha starts lamenting. And we see in this verse that Brahma actually comes. Brahma is the father of Daksha. So he comes to pacify Daksha. And then Daksha, hearing the instructions of Brahma, he becomes a little pacified. And in this verse, we see that he's again begetting thousand children from the womb of his wife. So in the purport, Prabhupada is explaining that it is very difficult, actually, if you see and you look at this, this uh, capability or capacity of Daksha to beget so many children, it's outstanding or it's astounding if you hear of this capability of Daksha. Like, who can have 10,000? We know it is the previous ages, but still 10,000 children. And after that also, if this, they were gone, he again begot 1,000 children. So he was actually an expert. And that is what Prabhupada is saying over here in the purport, that he was an expert in begetting children. And it is, not, it, is not, um, it is not wrong to be expert in your field of activity. So Daksha was a prajapati. His duty in this material world was actually to beget children. 
and that was the purpose for which he had come like brahma wanted it was the time of creation this is you know in the very very early stages of material world it was the time of creation and obviously lord brahma needed help in populating this whole material universe so daksha was actually fulfilling his duty towards lord brahma and he was expert in fulfilling that duty so it is not wrong to be expert in our service so it is not that daksha was doing something wrong if we see over here he was expert in fulfilling his duty and that is what that is why he begot another 1000 children and that is why he was lamenting the loss of the 10000 children because that did not help him in his uh, path of fulfilling his duty towards his father and towards the supreme lord and we see that he was doing his duty in a very dharmic way it was not that he was you know having sex for recreation and not procreation it was not that he was a sense gratifier who was you know just trying to enjoy his wife and enjoy his senses so he was having this children and we see even in the previous chapter we saw like towards the end of the chapter we saw that daksha was given the instruction by lord brahma that you go and populate this universe and therefore he is called prajapati and when he started populating the universe he realized that you know he was not very happy with the type of population in the previous chapter so he actually took a step back and he said no i am not very happy so let me do some austerities and therefore he takes sanyas in the previous chapter we hear him taking sanyas he goes to the mountain he performs lots of austerities there and with his, the supreme lord himself appears in front of him being pleased with his austerities and he blesses him in the execution of his duty so he knew what is dharmic he knew what is the right way so even though he was expert in like we we might say so called sex life but he was not doing it just for recreation he was not doing it and enjoying it like cats and dogs he knew the proper way the religious way to execute that particular uh, expertise of his so not only did he himself perform austerities and please the lord so that he gets good progeny but he also realized that once he gets that progeny how important it is for that progeny to have proper samskaras and be purified so we see as soon as the 10000 sons the first 10000 sons were uh, produced it's not that he immediately told them okay now start you know you also become prajapatis you also start populating you all also have be expert in sex life he realized that they need to first purify himself and with that purpose he actually sent them and therefore we see the haryashwas went to the narayan sarovar they performed their austerities over there just to become purified so that activity they were doing under the instruction of their father it was only that later that narad muni came over there and narad muni saw that these children are already so inclined towards uh, uh, god consciousness they are so inclined towards self realization then why not save them from the clutches of material world why not save them and give them the fast track back to godhead so that is the role which narad muni came and played but daksha on his part had actually done the right duty as a father he had actually given that samskaras he actually stressed to his children that you all need to purify yourselves he sent them to do austerities for many many thousands of years so we see that daksha is doing his duty over here and at the same time uh, prabhupada is talking about narad muni's expertise in this particular verse so he is saying that daksha is a material expert he is very expert in material activities but narad muni is the spiritual expert and therefore he says sometimes the material experts do not agree with the spiritual experts but that does not mean that the spiritual experts will give up their pursuit of reclaiming conditioned souls and delivering them back to the lotus feet of krishna
So we see sometimes, you know, there is always this loggerheads. Spiritual experts and material experts are at loggerheads. And that is why we see so many obstructions when, you know, a devotee is trying to preach or when, you know, we are trying to spread the Krishna consciousness movement. With Prabhupada also we saw, there were so many obstructions he faced in trying to spread the Krishna consciousness movement. Like even in every temple that he had to establish, there was so much of uh, backlash he got from many, many sections of the society. And that is because people do not see that, you know, this particular activity is important. That you need to give time or you need to give land or you need to give resources so that Krishna consciousness can be spread. And Prabhupada himself had to overcome so many obstacles. And Prabhupada obviously is, you know, a great preacher. He's following in the footsteps of Narad Muni. So same thing, you know, Narad Muni we see. He faces these obstructions when he's trying to reclaim conditioned souls. When he's trying to preach to conditioned souls and tell them about Krishna consciousness. And that is what we see over here. Daksha is all, you know, facing, he's thinking Narad Muni is an obstruction in the execution of his duty. So although he's expert and he's not wrong, and he's also serving the Supreme Lord because that was his duty, but he was not a pure devotee. So he was very attached to the, to the results of his activity. He, he was given the duty that you, you, you know, beget children, you uh, populate this universe, but he was very attached that when I have done this duty so nicely, I should get the results that I desired from this duty. Plus he was not realizing the devotional impact of this activity. So you can do your duty towards the Supreme Lord and it might be a material duty in this terms, but that does not mean that it cannot be synthesized with spiritual um, goals. And that is what Daksha failed to see, the, the synthesis that he could have had between his performance of duty and what Narad Muni was trying to do. So we see, you know, like it is said in the scriptures that people approach the Supreme Lord in four, with four different motivations or intentions. Some people approach him after bhai, which is fear. Some people approach him after, uh, from asha, from the platform of asha. That means lot of desires. Some people approach him out of kartavya. So kartavya means doing your duty. Oh, it is my duty to serve the Supreme Lord or it is my duty to thank him because he has given me so many things. And the highest is obviously approaching the Supreme Lord out of prema or love. So Daksha was approaching the Supreme Lord because he wanted to do his duty. He was following the tenets of Varnashrama Dharma where he was actually following his duty of begetting children, of pleasing the Supreme Lord through fulfillment of that duty. But he was not synthesizing the Daivi Varnashram Dharma along, you know, in the duty that he was uh, performing. And therefore we see how he had, he considered Narad Muni as an obstruction in his service to the Lord. And later on in the chapter we will see how Narad Muni will save these 10,000 sons as well, sorry, these 1,000 sons as well. And that time Daksha becomes really upset. Like, you know, once he saved the 10,000 Haryashwas, he was okay. But when he takes away these 1,000 sons as well, then he becomes really expert and he curses Narad Muni. So there are two, two things, which two aspects which we see over here. So even though Daksha was doing his duty towards the Supreme Lord, like I said, he's a Prajapati, he has to populate the universe. But one was that he was not understanding the spiritual side. His, his duty was not mixed with bhakti, he was not able to synthesize bhakti and he was not a devotee, a pure devotee of the Lord. And therefore, he was seeing somebody delivering his children back to Godhead as an obstruction to his service. Not that he was happy that so many souls went, like conditioned souls actually had self-realization. 
so he that is one one problem which he had that he was not a pure devotee and he didn't realize that what narad muni is doing is actually very important it is a much higher duty than what daksha was doing so that is something he failed to realize and secondly he was feeling envy in his heart so because he was envious of narad muni and therefore he saw him as a, as an obstruction and therefore he cursed him so we see in our lives also we face we are always at this crossroads where we face these situations that we are trying to do our particular service very nicely but when we see somebody else also trying to serve in a different way we see sometimes that there is a conflict which arises and because of that conflict we are not able to see things the way we should see from a transcendental platform or rising about the dualities and we sometimes get envious towards other people who are doing their service in their particular way so it's like my way or the highway that is what we are seeing daksha's attitude as that i the way i am serving the lord allow me to do that service properly and if you narad muni are coming and taking these children away then you are actually an enemy of mine so almost like that we see that happening that conflict happening in devotees as like in our you know own lives as well we see sometimes this conflict happening in our mind trying to you know being being uh, trying to being you know doing our service well but at the same time trying to like becoming very upset if somebody is not aligning with the way we want to do our service or you know it's how the lord should be served in a particular way only so i remember a few years ago narsimha kavach prabhu was giving a class here and it was a beautiful point you had made prabhu ji that we should be attached to the aspect or the um, the culture of service not to the service itself so we should be attached to the um, uh, to the quality of serving but not to a particular service when we atta become attached to a service then we see that we you know become very dependent on the results and then we become frustrated if we don't get those particular results but if we are mood is just that i want to serve and we are attached to the aspect of serving rather than a particular service then we will always find some other ways of serving the lord we might have conflicts with others it might not be aligned with what goals we had in mind but we will still continue our serving because our attachment is to the serving aspect and not to the service particular service but in this case we see that daksha is actually attached to his own service and that to how it should be done in his own way and therefore we see him becoming upset and therefore we see him being seen narad muni from a point of view of envy and because of that he does the great aparad of actually cursing narad muni because he was coming from that particular platform and on the other hand we see from narad muni's point of view that narad muni he is completely a transcendental personality like we were discussing in a previous class as well he appears almost in every canto of the shrimad bhagavatam and sometimes multiple times in each canto trying to deliver great people even you know great devotees like pralad maharaj dhru maharaj and also like you know other kings so all sections of society he does not discriminate all sections of society even the hunter so every section of society narad muni tries to go and deliver so that is his compassion or that is his service to the lord and therefore prabhupad says that he is a spiritual expert and it does not mean that narad muni will give up the engagement of his engagement of chanting the hari krishna mantra and spreading krishna consciousness in different sections of society so narad muni doesn't get faced at all even when he is cursed he does not get faced and that is where we see how narad muni has risen much above what daksha's terminology of serving the supreme lord or doing his duty was narad muni has reached much above that so even though he is cursed 
in so many sections we find Narad Muni faces so many obstructions, but he continues his service uninterruptedly to the Lord. He does not, uh, he does not uh, think, oh my God, now I've been cursed. What is this? I was trying to serve the Supreme Lord and this Daksha is cursing me. He does not realize how I'm also trying to serve and how I also am trying to, you know, fulfill the Lord's desire of reclaiming people's conditioned souls and having his children back home, back to Godhead. So he does not become frustrated in his attempts and give, us his, give up his attempt of preaching. He actually keeps, keeps continuing his service. He actually, because the heart is full of compassion, he does not see any obstacles, anything as an obstacle or anyone as an obstacle. And in fact, when he's cursed by Daksha, he just takes it as a blessing. He says that, oh, this is a blessing that I can't have a residence of my own for, many, for you know, any, a period of time and I will have to keep traveling. And that is what I actually want to do in my service. It will aid me that I keep traveling and I keep propagating Krishna consciousness throughout the world. So this is the gist of today's um, purport. And following in the footsteps of Narad Muni, who was very greatly compassionate and wanted to spread Krishna consciousness all over the world. Today is also the appearance day of Sripad Ramanujacharya. So it's an extremely holy day, it's a very important day and we'll spend the next few minutes discussing a little bit about the life of Sripad Ramanujacharya. So Ramanujacharya, as you know, most of us are aware, he was a great philosopher, a great acharya and a great devotee in the Sri Sampradayas in the Sri Sampradaya, which is one of the four bona fide Vaishnava Sampradayas. So all great Acharyas explain that without receiving knowledge and without receiving um, Siksha from one of these four bona fide Vaishnava Sampradayas, one cannot hope to go back to Godhead. In fact, Rupa Goswami goes on to claim that without being initiated in one of these four Vaishnava Sampradayas, we cannot go back to Godhead. One has to be um, under the Siksha or Diksha of these four bona fide Vaishnava uh, Sampradayas. One cannot say that I will be on my own, own, I will do bhakti and then expect that you will, without accepting a guru in one of these Sampradayas, one can go back to Godhead. Rupa Goswami also claims that. So sometimes we see like the Lord himself comes, obviously, paritranaya sadhunam vinashaya chaduskritam dharma sansthapanathaya sambhavami yuge yuge. So the Lord himself comes many times to re-establish re the tenets of dharma when they are lost and many times he sends his representatives to do the same when he sees that dharma is being lost in society. So with a view of doing that, um, Vishnu Swami, the great Acharya Vishnu Swami came to revive the teachings of the Rudra Sampradaya. So the four bona fide Vaishnava Sampradayas are Rudra Sampradaya, which is Lord Shiva being instructed himself by, the Lord, by Lord Brahma, uh, by Lord Akriya Vishnu. Then we have the Brahma Sampradaya, where Brahma has received instructions from Lord Narayan. We have the Shri Sampradaya, wherein Lord Lakshmi Devi who is the initiator of that particular Sampradaya. And then we have the Kumara Sampradaya, where the four Kumaras receive instructions from Ananta Sesh and from the Supreme Lord himself. So these are the four bona fide Vaishnava Sampradayas. But over a period of time, especially in Kaliuga, some of their teachings were getting lost. And therefore the Lord sent his representatives to revive the teachings of the four Sampradayas once again. And so that the, the philosophy and the, you know, the philosophy of the four bona fide Sampradayas could spread and people would have an opportunity to take Siksha and Diksha within these Sampradayas. So with a view to that, Vishnu Swami, the great Acharya comes to revive the teachings of the Rudra Sampradaya. 
And then we hear the great Nimbakacharya. He comes to revive the Kumara Sampradaya. Madhvacharya, he comes who is none other than Bhim. He comes to revive Brahma Sampradaya. Uh, ISKCON is an institution within Brahma Madhva Gaudiya Sampradaya. So Madhvacharya comes to revive the Brahma Sampradaya. And Ramanujacharya comes to revive the Shri Sampradaya or the Lakshmi Sampradaya, as also it is called. So sometimes we think that, oh, you know, we should not misunderstand that Ramanujacharya is the founder of the Shri Sampradaya. So although he was the greatest philosopher and the greatest Acharya of that Sampradaya, in fact, you know, uh, he was blessed by Yamunacharya, who was another great devotee, that this Sampradaya will be known as Ramanuja Darshanam, the light of Ramanuja. That is how the Sri Sampradaya will be called, because of your contribution to this particular Sampradaya. But it is not that he was the founder. So there were many great philosophers, saints, Acharyas, Vaishnavas, who had come um, many, many years ago before uh, Ramanujacharya in the same Sampradaya, who were also in, from part of the Sri Sampradaya. And they were all um, spreading the, the philosophy of the Sri Sampradaya. And Ramanujacharya himself gives credit to all these Acharyas from whom he derived his own learnings and his own teachings and on whom he based his writings as well. And these Acharyas, in turn, these great Acharyas who came before Ramanujacharya in the Sri Sampradaya, were basing their learnings on the nine, uh, nine Alvars who appeared. So they appeared many hundreds of years ago, before Ramanujacharya appeared. And these nine Alvars are the great astalvar devotees of Lord Vishnu. And it is said they are incarnation of different aspects of Lord Vishnu, like some of the Alvars are incarnation of the conch, Shankha Chakra, Gada, Padma, like they are incarnations of these expansions of the Lord. And they did, they were great poets, they were great philosophers, and their teachings are also called as Divya Prabandham. So many of the Acharyas who were there before Ramanujacharya and even Ramanujacharya himself based their teachings on these, um, on the philosophy and the teachings of the nine Alvars. So one of the great devotee of, uh, of, you know, who was there before Ramanujacharya, his name was Yamunacharya. So Yamunacharya was a great devotee, he was a great Acharya before Ramanujacharya appeared and he was, you know, his seat, his base was Sri Rangam, that was his headquarters and he was propagating the, uh, you know, Vaishnavism throughout, throughout India during that time, especially in the uh, um, southern part of India. So I remember a few years ago when His Holiness Bhakti Rasamrita Maharaj had done a retreat in, uh, I think, Ballarat. Some of the devotees had put together a drama on Yamunacharya. It was a very beautiful drama depicting the life of Yamunacharya, whose name was also called as Alabandara, the conqueror. And that drama was depicting how Yamunacharya defeated uh, a great uh, scholar called Kolahala. And how then, you know, the king of that time, he actually bestowed half of his, uh, half of his kingdom on Yamunacharya because he was so pleased. Because Yamunacharya was actually a great devotee and he was only a 12-year-old child who defeated the greatest Pandit Kolahala of all times. And because the king was pleased, he bestowed half of his kingdom and then Yamunacharya forgot the goal of life. Once he started ruling the kingdom, he forgot the, what, what, was, what was his life before he actually became the king of that particular part of the kingdom. And he was completely misled, he was completely entrenched in the power struggle, expanding his kingdom, like all those kingly duties he was doing. And his grandfather was Nathamuni. He was another great devotee of the Lord. 
and Nathamuni feeling great compassion for his grandson, he actually sends one of his greatest disciples, Rama Mishra, to actually reclaim Yamunacharya back. And that whole drama which was done in Bhakti Rasamrit Maharaj's retreat was about how this Rama Mishra goes and reclaims Yamunacharya back. And Yamunacharya realizes what he was doing and how he had completely gone astray from his pursuit of self-realization. And he then comes back. He gives up his kingdom, he gives up everything, and he again becomes a great devotee of the Lord. So this Yamunacharya was the, the inspiring or the Siksha Guru of Ramanujacharya. Although they both personally never had much interaction with, either, with each other when Ramanujacharya was there, but still Ramanujacharya considered him as his Siksha Guru. So Ramanujacharya's many writings were based on the writings of Yamunacharya. And um, now there was a very great disciple of Yamunacharya whose name was Shailapurna. And this Shailapurna had two sisters. One sister's name was Kantimati and the other's name, other sister's name was Diptimati. So Shailapurna was greatly dedicated to the service of his guru, Yamunacharya. And therefore what he did was he got both his sisters married to very nice Brahmin boys who were very pious, very devoted. And once he did fulfill that duty of his, he actually took sannyas and he went to live in the ashram of his guru in Sri Rangam. So because he thought his duty is over now, he need not worry about any material responsibilities that he had. And here we see that Kantimati, she, she was uh, married to a Brahman, Brahman called Asuri, Ke, Asuri Keshavacharya. So they were very happily married. She was a very devoted and chaste wife for his Brahmin husband, uh, for her Brahmin husband. And her husband was expert in doing yagyas. So that was his particular duty as a Brahmin. He used to do yagyas, lots of yagyas. But they had one, one um, anxiety in their life that even though they were married for many, many years, they did not have a child, they did not have a son. And obviously, Grahastha Ashram, when you know, two devoted souls are coming together, they do want to have children so that that child can also, they can you know, make him into a devotee of the Lord. So having this anxiety in heart, what um, Asuri Keshavacharya did, he said, okay, let us go to the temple of Parthasarthi. So there is a beautiful temple of Lord Parthasarthi in present-day Chennai. But during those days, it was called as Brindaranya. That place was called as Brindaranya. So he said, let, uh, he let us go there. And over there, let us do some austerities to please the Supreme Lord. So because his particular expertise and his duty, Brahminical duty was to do yagyas, he, in the uh, temple of Parthasarthi, performed a very beautiful yagya. And at the culmination of that yagya, he went and prayed to the Lord and requested him that we want to beget a child please bless us with a son who is very devoted to your lotus feet. And that night the Lord appeared, Lord Parthasarthi, being pleased with um, Asuri Keshavacharya and his wife Kantimati. He appeared in a dream to them and he said that um, you go back to your native place. Very soon I will myself send an expansion of mine, an incarnation of mine to take birth in the womb of your wife. That is what he came and told Asuri Keshavacharya in the dream. So hearing this dream, they became very happy and they went back to their native place and very soon Kantimati became pregnant with a child and few months later she gave birth to a very, to a very auspicious child, very Tejasvi child she gave birth to and the, the exact year is described as 1017. 
So 1017 of the Christian era, that is when in April, which is the month we are right now, that is when uh, Ramanujacharya was born to Kantimati and Asuri Keshavacharya. So he was a blessing of the Supreme Lord himself. And at the same time, Kantimati's sister Diptimati, the second sister of Shailapurna, also gave birth to a son. So there was great happiness in the family because both sisters had been blessed with um, sons and they both came together. And they used to live in a place called Bhutipuri. Bhutipur. So they both came together over there and when Shailapurna heard that his, both his sisters had given birth, he thought, oh, I must go and bless these two children and I must also carry the blessings of my guru, Yamunacharya, for these two children. So Shailapurna with great happiness comes to visit both his sisters. And then when he sees um, Kantimati's son especially and he sees the great beauty and the spiritual potency of that child, he becomes very pleased. And he realizes as soon as he sees that child that the prophecy of the great Namalvar, like we had spoke about the nine Alvars who used to propagate uh, Vaishnavism. So one of the Alvars was Nam Alvar. And uh, immediately Shailapurna realized that the prophecy of Nam Alvar has today come true. Because it seems Nam Alvar had prophesied that Lakshman, the brother of Lord Ram, will appear one day in Kalyuga specially to spread Vaishnavism in this world. And he realized that this has come true. In the, and he has appeared from the womb of my sister Kantimati. So being very pleased like that, he actually names that child as Ramanuja. So Ramanuja means, um, Anuj means younger brother. So the, bro the younger brother of Lord Ram and another meaning is one who follows in the footsteps of Lord Ram. So this is another name of Lakshman and therefore he names this child as Ramanuja. So Ramanujacharya is actually an incarnation. You know, he has, Lord uh, Lakshman came actually in Kalyuga to spread Vaishnavism and that was Ramanujacharya himself. So we see um, that um, he had great qualities. Now speaking a little bit about his qualities. So he had great qualities. The parents were very cultured devotees. They were great brahmanas and they performed all samskaras. And even the sister Diptimati who had a son, Shailapurna named that son as Govinda. So both brothers were, both cousin brothers were like, you know, growing up together and both of them had great qualities. But especially Ramanujacharya, he was bestowed, he was endowed with such beautiful Vaishnava qualities. He was extremely potent, he was very, very scholar, like, and he could, once he heard something, he would remember that. He would never forget, no, no teacher had to spend a lot of time teaching him and like sweating blood and trying to make him learn something. Once he heard that, he would completely remember whatever had been taught. Also, he was uh, very humble, very obedient, very submissive, very learned. So he became the pet of all his teachers. The teachers would love to teach him when he started going to his uh, gurukul. He, the teachers would really like. And because, because he was very intelligent, he was able to absorb and learn everything very quickly and progress, like, you know, learn the Vedas and everything very nicely. So these were some of the qualities which Ramanujacharya processed. Now, um, so there was a very great disciple of Yamunacharya by the name of Kanchi Purna. And this Kanchi Purna, he was actually a great servant of Lord Vardaraj Perumal. Lord Vardaraj is a form of Lord Vishnu and he was very attached to his temple in Kanchi. This is where Kanchi Purna was based. And his service to the Lord, because he was such a simple great devotee, his only service to the Lord was fanning the Lord. 
So in summer, he would dip the fan in scented cold water, like sometimes rose water or you know other scents, and he would keep fanning the Lord. That was his only service. He had no desire to become like a very well-known devotee or so everybody should come and honor him or respect him, fame, prestige, nothing. He was simply stand and fan the Lord. And the Lord was so pleased with Kanchipurna's devotion that he would talk to with Kanchipurna. So the Lord and Kanchipurna used to have dialogues regularly. And most of the people who lived in that uh, Kanchipuram, they knew about this quality of Kanchipurna. So many times they would go and approach Kanchipurna and request him to speak to Lord Vardaraj about something that was troubling them or some anxiety that they had and get an answer from the Lord himself. So this Kanchipurna, when you know he used to travel to the temple to do his service to Lord Vardaraj, Ramanujacharya's village, Bhutipuri, used to come on the way. And once Ramanujacharya was returning from school and he saw this great devotee passing by, and he immediately fell at the feet of uh, Kanchipurna and he invited him to his house for prasad. And even though Ramanujacharya's parents were also great brahmanas, and Kanchipurna was actually a low, he, was, he, he had taken birth in a, low, uh, in a Shudra family. So he was a low-born Shudra by birth, but he was a great devotee. But Ramanujacharya himself and his parents saw no distinction. So even though casteism was so strongly prevalent during that time, they still invited Kanchipurna very lovingly in his house, in their house, and they served him prasadam very nicely. And then Ramanujacharya partook of the Mahav, of the remnants of Sri Kanchipurna. And then when Kanchipurna was resting, Ramanujacharya started massaging his feet. And they were talking for a long time about, you know, the philosophy, about Vaishnavism, about devotional service. They were speaking for a long time about the Shastras. And when he was massaging the feet of Kanchipurna, Kanchipurna became very uncomfortable. And he told Ramanujacharya that I am a Shudra by birth and you are a great Brahman. So it does not befit you to press the feet and to massage or even touch a low-born Shudra like me. You will lose all your power and potency if you do this to me. And at that time, Ramanujacharya replied, and he was still a young child at that time. But he told Kanchipurna that if my position as a Brahmana prevents me from worshipping a great soul such as you, then my birth is actually the most inauspicious. It's not an auspicious birth, it's an inauspicious birth if it is preventing me from serving a great devotee like you. So a Brahmin is not simply by birth or just by wearing that thread. That is not a Brahmin. A Brahmin is one who is actually a great devotee of the Lord. That is the greatest Brahmin and that is what you are already doing. So I'm actually doing the right thing by massaging your feet and associating with you. And Karchipurna was astounded when he heard Ramanujacharya speak like this. Because he thought he's such a young child but he knows the highest philosophy of what is a devotee, what is Brahmanism. He, he knows all these things about Krishna consciousness. So he was very pleased with Ramanujacharya and in his mind he was already thinking that this child is going to become a great Acharya one day. So Ramanujacharya's father, when he was 16 years old, he got him married. And he, he got him married to a very uh, chaste and beautiful girl uh, whose name was Raksha Kambala. So he gets him married to him but within one month of the marriage, there were, the tragedy struck that family and Asuri Keshavacharya, the father of Ramanujacharya, left the world. He passed away and Ramanujacharya, his mother Kantimati, everybody, the whole family was grief-stricken. 
and they decided that we cannot continue living in Bhutipuri anymore. So they decided to move to the nearby town of Kanchi, Kanchipuram, and set up their residence over there. So Ramanacharya, his wife and his mother, they all three went to Kanchipuram and they set up their house there. And over there in that city, there was a great scholar known as Yadava Prakash who had his school over there. So Yadava Prakash was actually a Mayavadi. He was a follower of Sripad Sankracharya. And he used to preach that in his school. But nevertheless, he was a great scholar. He was very learned in the Vedas. And therefore, Ramanujacharya decided that I want to join the school of Yadava Prakash because he had this desire to learn the Vedas very nicely. And Yadava Prakash, whatever it is, he was a great scholar in the Vedas. So he joins his school. He joins the school of um, Yadava Prakash. And because he had such saintly qualities, very humble, very obedient, very submissive, he became actually a dear student of Yadava Prakash. He was, Yadava Prakash was very fond of this student. He, he, he really loved Ramanujacharya. And sometimes it would pain Ramanujacharya to hear the Mayavad interpretations of the scriptures. But because his nature, by nature, he was very submissive and humble, he would generally not say anything about or against his uh, guru in the uh, school. So, but one day when Ramanujacharya was, had stayed back with his guru, there was a disciple of Yadava Prakash who came there and he wanted some clarification on a verse he was studying from the Chandogya Upanishad from his guru Yadav Prakash. And that verse was Kapisyam Pundarikam Eva Makshini. That was the line on which uh, he needed some clarification. So he came and spoke to his guru, Yadav Prakash, and he said that, I am not able to understand this word, kapyasam pundarikam eva makshini. Can you explain what this word means, especially the word kapyasam? He was not able to understand. So following, because obviously Yadav Prakash was a Shankarite. So following Shankaracharya's interpretation of similar verses, Yadav Prakash told him that um, kapi, he, he divided the word kapyasam as kapi asam. And he said that kapi asam means the rear end of a monkey. <laughs> and therefore he said that um, kapyasam pundarikam evam akshini means that the Lord's eyes are reddish like the rear end of a monkey. And at that time Ramanujacharya was, you know, pressing the feet of his guru, Yadav Prakash. And when he heard this explanation of this particular sentence, he was aghast. He was very aggrieved because he is a pure devotee of the Lord. So he could not tolerate this particular explanation, you know, giving, explaining the beauty of the eyes of the Lord. And because of that, hot tears started falling from his eyes. He just started crying. He could not control himself. And obviously those tears fell on Yadav Prakash, Prakash's feet. And he looked up at Ramanujacharya in surprise and he said, why are you crying? And Ramanujacharya explained to his guru, he said that I am not able to hear this particular interpretation of the verse and this comparison of the Lord's beautiful eyes to the rear end of a monkey. You are such a great scholar, it does not suit that you are giving such an interpretation explaining the beauty of the eyes of the Lord. So Yadav Prakash for the first time, he heard his uh, disciple speak like this and he felt a bit confronted. So he became a bit, he felt a bit challenged and confronted and then he told Ramanujacharya, he said, you, you dare to speak against your guru's interpretation of a verse? Then if you know better, why don't you give an explanation of what this verse, Kapyasam Pundarikam Eva Makshini means? 
and very humbly, like not trying to show off or not trying to, you know, defeat his guru. That was not his intention at all. Ramanujacharya gave the devotional interpretation of that particular verse. So he said that kapyasam can be explained as ka and p. He explained, expanded that uh, kapyasam word as ka and p. And he said that it means that kam jalam pibati, which means that uh, that which drinks water. So he said that, you know, that which drinks water is the sun. So ka, ka, pi, uh, ka and p means that which drinks water and that is the sun. And asam means to blossom. So the real meaning of the word kapyasam is something which blossoms under the sun, which is none other than the lotus flower. So therefore the real interpretation of this verse is that the Lord's eyes are reddish like the hue of the beautiful lotus flower which blossoms under the sun. So when he gave that explanation, Yadava Prakash felt very confronted and very challenged. And you know, he, he, he kept quiet at that time but he realized that Ramanujacharya can actually completely oh, topple off his Shankarite explanation of all the scriptures. He could already see the potency in that, in that child. And like this on another uh, occasion also they had, so you know there were a small confrontations which they started having because there was this difference in the philosophies of Ramanujacharya and Shank um, Yadav Prakash. And yeah, Ramanujacharya already he was you know, his, his fame was spreading because he was writing Vaishnava interpretations of many of Shankaracharya's word, verses and many scriptural verses he was giving. Uh, the, the Vaishnava interpretations were not available at that time to uh, the masses and people were, especially the devotees were very happy to see this. So already his fame had started spreading in that particular region. And there was a king who used to live there whose daughter had, whose daughter, the princess had become processed by a Brahma Rakshas. So the king was very aggrieved because the Brahma Rakshas, he tried so many means that that Brahma Rakshas leaves his daughter's body, but nothing was working. And someone told him that Yadav Prakash is very expert in chanting of mantras which drive away such Brahma Rakshas from the body of a person whom they have possessed. So he sends, the king sends for Yadav Prakash to come. And Yadav Prakash tries so many mantras to drive this Brahma Rakshas away, but nothing works. And Yadav Prakash himself is astonished because he, know, he knew his mantras never failed. So he was wondering why in this particular Brahma Rakshas this mantra, these mantras are not working. And that time the Brahma Rakshas spoke to Yadav Prakash through the mouth of the princess. And he said that what you are attempting is not going to work on me. All your efforts at chanting these mantras to drive me out of the body of the princess are going to be in vain. I am not going to leave the body um, and you, you can go back if you want. So obviously the king was also very aggrieved and Yadav Prakash said, then what is it that will work with you since you are speaking with me? And he said that you call that great dis devotee, that great disciple of yours, uh, Ram uh, Ramanujacharya, you call him over here, he's a great devotee, he is going to become a great Acharya, you call him here, he's very pure in his heart, only when he comes and blesses and touches the feet, of me, like that means the princess, that time I will leave the body of this girl. So immediately, obviously, the king wanted his daughter to be free of this Brahma Rakshas. So he immediately sends for Ramanujacharya. And when Ramanujacharya arrives there, he actually, the, the uh, Brahma Rakshas in the form of the princess falls down 
at the feet and the brahma raksha speaks to ramanujacharya that you please put your feet on my head so that i am blessed by your divine touch and then i can leave this body so then ramanujacharya asks that how will we know you left the body of this princess and he says that you will see that this banyan tree under which we are sitting the biggest branch of this banyan tree will snap and fall off when i leave the body of the princess so ramanujacharya puts his feet on the low, uh, head of the princess and as soon as he blesses the princess like that the top branch of that tree fell off and uh, the princess was free and she she actually when she suddenly came out it was as if she had come up uh, come out from a deep sleep and she was very astonished to see the situation which she was in with uh, yadava prakash ramanujacharya her father all standing over there and then they explained to him what had happened and that is how the brahma rakshas leaves the body of this particular uh, princess by ramanujacharya's blessings so yadava prakash obviously started feeling great envy towards ramanujacharya because his fame was spreading like this he was giving vaishnava interpretation of whatever yadava prakash was trying to you know give the shankarite interpretation he was refuting all that so then yadava prakash got together with some of his close disciples his chelas and he told them that we will have to do something and his uh, disciples also said yes guru your all your uh, uh, explanations and all your expertise in the shastras is going to be challenged by this little boy so we, uh, what should we do and then they decided that we have no other option but to kill him so that is how yadav prakash and his disciples started plotting for ramanujacharya's death and they realized that his fame had spread so much in kanchipuram that they cannot do that activity over there they will come in the light of the people they might be you know furor or something like that so they said let's do one thing let's go on a pilgrimage to north india and you know we will tell him we are going to take darshan of vrindavan we will go to take darshan of yamuna and all that and over there we will carry out this plot so they yadav prakash and his disciples convinced ramanujacharya and especially his mother who was not ready to send ramanujacharya they convinced her that no no let him come on this pilgrimage with us he is such a great devotee he will love to go to vrindavan to take darshan of yamuna and all that so he actually went and his cousin govind also went diptimati san also went with him and while they were on that pilgrimage they were in the forests of vrindavan and um, that time the disciples and yadav prakash started talking they said that we are deep in the forests right now so this is a very good opportunity to kill ramanujacharya so under some pretext we will send him to the river bank to collect some flowers and over there we will drown him in the river that is how we will get rid of him and while they were discussing like that um fortunately govinda who is the cousin brother of ramanujacharya he was nearby in the trees and he overheard this conversation so he was aghast when he heard this about this plot to kill his brother so immediately ran into the forest and he told ramanujacharya he said that these yadav prakash and the other disciples are plotting your death they are going to murder you soon you better run away from here for your life so ramanujacharya was also very aggrieved that his guru is thinking of killing him imagine for a disciple he realizes my guru is trying to kill me <laughs> so he also thought oh yes i do have to run because obviously yadav prakash had so many disciples with him and how could he overpower them so he thought intelligence is in just running away like govinda had um, uh, suggested and advised me so he started running through the forest away from where yadav prakash and his disciples were camping and while running 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 he was going deep in the forest he did not know where to go he was so far away from his home 
because imagine Kanchipuram is in the south of India and he was in the north. In that time there were no flights or trains even. So everything was on foot. So he was running helter-skelter and he didn't know the way back to Kanchipuram. And at that time some distance away he spots a couple. And they were like a hunter couple. He spots them and he's surprised to see this hunter couple in the forest. In deep in the forest that too. So he goes and approaches them and he tells them that I have lost my way. Can you all please help me to get out of this forest? And they ask him, they ask him, which place were you? Like, which, what is your destination? Where do you want to go? And he tells them that I'm actually from Kanchipuram, so I want to go back there. And the hunter couple says, oh, that's very nice. We were also on our way to Kanchipuram, so we can take you. We normally go from this forest to Kanchipuram every year. And then Ramanujacharya said, but why y'all are going to Kanchipuram? So they said that, you know, we are hunters. We are like the husband was a fowler especially. We hunt birds for a living. We sell them, we kill them, we eat them as well. So that is our occupation and we know it's a very sinful activity. So every year we go to um, Kanchipuram and Rameshwaram to pray to the Lord there and to get absolved, like to absolve ourselves from our sins that we have been doing by do taking up this hunting profession. So Ramanujacharya agrees and they all start walking. And then when night falls, the wife of the hunter becomes very thirsty and she says, I really need some water. So the hunter says that some distance away from here, there is a well, a little bit like on, on the mountain. So tomorrow morning when it's a bit bright, we will get you water from that well. So next morning she requests again that I'm very thirsty and Ramanujacharya says that wait, you, he tells the hunter, you be by, by your wife and I will go and bring water for her and come. So he goes and brings water and she drinks that water and she's still thirsty. So she again goes back to drink water and obviously had to trek up some distance to get that water from the well, from the mountain. And like this, she keeps sending him three, four times to bring water. And once, you know, the fourth time when he's coming back with the water, he sees that the uh, couple has disappeared from there. Both are not there and he's a bit surprised. He thought just now they were there. Where is this hunter couple gone? They left me and went away. I actually wanted to go to Kanchipuram and now where have they disappeared? So that time he sees another passerby going from there and he asks them, he says that I'm actually on my way to Kanchipuram, can you please guide me where the, how to go to Kanchipuram, I'm stuck, I'm lost in this forest. And that time that person is very, he, he's very surprised that Ramanujacharya is asking him that question. He says, can't you see these big temple domes and gopurams of temples here in the distance, that is Kanchipuram. And I know you so well, you are the uh, student of Yadav Prakash and you study in his school, I've seen you so many times in the city, you don't recognize your own city. So then Ramanujacharya sees and he realizes that that hunter couple was actually none other than Lakshmi Narayan who had come personally to help him, to guide him back to his uh, city, to his town of Kanchipuram. So where he goes over there, he meets his mother, Kantimati, who's very surprised because, you know, when you go on a pilgrimage like this, from South India to North India, that too on foot, she was expecting he will come back only after six months or something like that. But she was surprised he had come back within a month. And then he tells her the whole story that how, um, you know, this Yadav Prakash had tried to kill him. And because of that, he had to escape from there. And Govinda explained, you know, revealed whatever the Yadav Prakash was plotting against him. And therefore he came. So um, Yadav Prakash, when he returned after a few months, he was also astonished because when they actually went looking for Ramanujacharya, when Ramanujacharya ran away but in, with a view to kill him, not a, with, with a view to find him, 
they thought that oh looks like he's been eaten by animals so they concluded he was killed already and they were in internally they were very happy and jubilant that their work was done by the animals in the forest so when they come back to kanchipuram they are very surprised to see him and he obviously yadav prakash feigns like ignorance and he says he shows you know sheds cro crocodile tears and he says i'm so happy to see you it's good that you are back and you know blah 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 so like that you know yadav prakash just tries to embrace him and show him as if he knows but ramanujacharya already knew what was in yadav prakash mind and yadav prakash then invites him no 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 you please join my school back i don't want to lose you as a student so just for you know show because there were so many people who had gathered so just to maintain keep his face in front of others he invites him back to his school and ramanujacharya also uh, joins his school for some time so ultimately but ramanujacharya could not take it and he leaves yadav prakash like you know they keep having these confrontations and once he challenges him when yadav prakash was trying to give some explanation of the form of the supreme lord and he like you know how he is formless and all that time ramanujacharya challenges him and then ultimately he leaves yadav prakash's ashram and then he decides that he wants to take initiation from kanchipuram from kanchipurna so he keeps requesting kanchipurna that i really want to take initiation from you i really want to take initiation from you but kanchipurna being a very humble devotee and he did not want any other service except fanning the lord so he actually talks to the lord and the lord tells him that tell ramanujacharya that one day he will take initiation from a very great disciple of yamunacharya and this is the message he conveys and he says just be patient and you, you know one day your guru will be revealed to you so in the meantime yamunacharya was about to leave his body like he had become very old and he was about to leave his body and yamunacharya before like he was about to leave his body one day he had visited kanchipuram for uh, taking darshan of vardaraj perimal and at that time from far away he sees this effulgent boy ramanujacharya and he realizes that you know this is not an ordinary child looking at the qualities and the tejas of this child so he actually asked some of his disciples that who is this boy and they explain to him that he is you know ramanujacharya he is actually a great devotee and he has already started writing so many explanations of uh, the scriptures and mantras and that time ramanujacharya like i had said he had already started becoming famous because of his vaishnava interpretations of scriptures and yeah yamunacharya then was very he said oh is it that same ramanujacharya who had given such beautiful explanations of some of the verses for which shankaracharya had given very monistic explanation but what is he doing with this mayavadi uh, yadav prakash because that time Yad ramanujacharya was with yadav prakash and few other students they were walking in the streets of kanchipuram so he says uh, the disciple says that oh he is a student of yadav prakash and that time yamunacharya was very aggrieved and he thought i must send someone to save this boy from yadav prakash's clutches because yadav prakash he knew yadav prakash was a great mayavadi and ramanujacharya would it is not uh, it will not be helpful for ramanujacharya to stay in his school for a long time so he was about to leave his body and that time he remembered because he could already see that it is ramanujacharya who is going to carry forth the tenets of shri vaishnav sampradaya so his final wish was that he told his disciples and especially one of his great disciples mahapurna he told him that can you please quickly go to kanchipuram and bring ramanujacharya here to shri rangam i'm about to leave my body and i want to see him before i leave my body so mahapurna goes to the village of uh, uh, ramanujacharya to kanchipuram and he gives him the message 
And at that time, Ramanujachari is very aggrieved that his spiritual, that his Siksha Guru is going to leave this world because he had accepted Yamunacharya's teachings. So he rushes with uh, Mahapurna, but obviously they are traveling on foot and it takes some time for them to reach. And by the time they reached Sri Rangam, Yamunacharya had already left his body. So Ramanujacharya and Mahapurna assist, start assisting all the disciples in you know, preparing for the final rites of Yamunacharya. And that time Ramanujacharya observes that three fingers of Yamunacharya were in bent position. They were folded. So he asked the other disciples who were regularly in association with uh, Yamunacharya and he asked them that would Yamunacharya usually keep his fingers folded? And the disciples say no. He had his fingers straight out. He would never usually keep them folded. So then Ramanujacharya, being you know, inspired by Yamunacharya from within, he realizes that Yamunacharya wants Ramanujacharya to fulfill certain uh, wishes of Yamunacharya, which he himself could not do. So standing there, he proclaims in the assembly of those devotees. Ramanujacharya says that today I'm taking three vows. My first vow is that I will spread the message of pure devotional service by my example, words, and by my body everywhere throughout India. So as soon as Ramanujacharya takes that vow that I will spread pure devotional service, Yamunacharya's one finger opened up. Then Ramanujacharya takes the second vow. He says that I will write a Vaishnava commentary on the Vedanta Sutra named as Sri Bhashya, refuting Shankaracharya's arguments and spreading Vaishnavism throughout the land of India. So as soon as he takes that second vow that he will write a commentary on the Vedanta Sutra, Yamunacharya's second finger opened up. And then he takes a third vow. He says that due to great um, gratitude and appreciation for Parashara Muni, the father of Vyasadev, who actually propagated the glories of the Lord from the Vishnu Puran. So he was a great devotee. He propagated the glories of the Lord. And in appreciation and gratitude for Parashara Muni, I will name one of my disciples after Parashara Muni who will carry forth the tradition of spreading Vaishnavism. And as soon as he heard that particular third vow, Yamunacharya heard that vow, the third finger opened up. And all the disciples who were present there, they were completely astonished to see this prowess of Ramanujacharya. And they realized that their guru Yamunacharya had invested all his powers now in Ramanujacharya and Ramanujacharya would be the next person after their guru Yamunacharya who would become the head of the Sri Sampradaya and who would spread Sri Sampradaya far and wide. So they were very pleased to see this particular aspect. And then, you know, the final rites were done very nicely. So after these final rites were done, Ramanujacharya actually returns back to Kanchipuram. Even though all the disciples request him, you make your base over here, he returns back to Kanchipuram. And on the first disappearance anniversary of Yamunacharya, all the disciples gather and they are discussing, they celebrate the disappearance of their guru, but they also discuss that there is no one right now who is spreading uh, Sri Vaishnavism like a guru used to spread. It has come to a plateau. There is no revolutionizing that is happening right now in the people's minds. And we are seeing that Shankara's uh, teachings are taking deep roots amongst the uh, society. So we need someone who will actually now take up this cause fervently and who will work hard towards spreading and dedicate his life towards spreading this mission of a guru. And they could think immediately of Ramanujacharya. 
So they told, uh, again, Mahapurna, who was the greatest disciple of Yamunacharya, they told him, can you go and bring him back? And you also give him initiation, because Yamunacharya could never initiate Ramanujacharya. So he said, you go and give him initiation, and you bring him back over here, and let him make Sri Rangam as his seat, as his ashram, as his base, from where then he spreads um, uh, Sri Vaishnavism all over the country. So Mahapurna does that, like obviously that's a long pastime again, how Mahapurna initiates him and how Ramanujacharya's wife does not honor Mahapurna's wife. Mahapurna was a grahastha, so they live with Ramanujacharya's for some time, but again Mahapurna was also not a Brahmin by birth. And Ramanujacharya's wife was very uh, entrenched in that, you know, we are Brahmins by birth, we are higher birth, that casteism. So she actually disrespects Mahapurna's wife saying that you are a Shudrani and you, your water cannot touch my waters, you know. So these things happen and Mahapurna and his wife actually leave. They go back to Sri Rangam. And Ramanujacharya is now thinking, how do I come out of this clutch of Grahastashram? Because my wife is not even understanding how to honor a great devotee. So there's this whole pastime how he then tricks his wife. And he sends her off to, his, uh, to her father's house and the pretext of some wedding preparations that she has to help her father and mother with. And when she's gone, he sits down and takes sannyas. And his sannyas guru was none other than Kanchi Purna. And Kanchi Purna, because you know, he could realize that Ramanujacharya is the next great acharya, he gives him the name Yatiraj during his sannyas ceremony. So that is how Ramanujata Acharya takes sannyas and he comes to live in Sri Rangam. And that time again there is a famous story of this great saint Goshti Purna. So this great saint Goshti Purna had you know, a mantra and Ramanujacharya, Mahapurna told Ramanujacharya that if you want to in, become, make your devotional service very intense and you want to practice um, very uh, like great, uh, with great intensity you want to practice devotion to the Lord, then you should go to Goshti Purna. He has a mantra, a secret mantra, which if you get from him, you will not only become very deeply entrenched yourself in Vaishnavism, but you will able, be able to purify many, many thousands of souls by being empowered by that mantra. So Ramanujacharya, following the instructions of uh, Mahapurna, he actually travels to Goshti Purna and he requests Goshti Purna for that mantra. And Goshti Purna was, he was a great devotee and very humble devotee as well. But he was very afraid to give this mantra to anybody because he knew that this mantra is very potent and if it falls on the wrong ears and if the heart of that person is not pure, then actually he would be doing an aparad by giving that mantra. That is how Goshti Purna was thinking. So he refused to give that mantra to Ramanujacharya. He said, no, no, you come later. Right now I can't give you the mantra. So Ramanujacharya, it is mentioned in the uh, scriptures that he went 17 times he traveled from Sri Rangam to Goshti Purna's place and it was quite far, he had to go by walk every time. And every time Goshti Purna would send him back saying that no, no, not now. And Ramanujacharya kept thinking that my guru is thinking I'm not uh, pure in my heart and that is why he's not ready to give me this mantra. So it was not that he gave up his endeavor saying that what is this, let me go to somebody else. This guru is now, you know, taking too long to initiate me. Not like that. He kept persisting. He realized that I have to improve to be able to then uh, deserve this particular, you know, mantra, to get this mantra from this guru. So he kept going to Goshti Purna. And on the other hand, Goshti Purna was praying to the Lord 
that this boy keeps coming to me for the mantra, but I'm very hesitant to give him that mantra because it, ha it should not be given to anybody and it should not be spread like this far and wide because it is such a secret mantra. And that time the priest of the temple speaks, the Lord empowers the priest of the temple to speak to Ghoshti Purna. And he says that, no, this boy is very pure at heart. He's going to be, he's the next Acharya of Sri Sampradaya. You please give him this mantra. It will be of great benefit to you, to him, and to the whole society. So that time, that was the 18th time that Goshti Purna then agrees to give that mantra when Ramanujacharya comes to him. So Goshti Purna tells him that, okay, you take a bath and come and I will give you this mantra. But when, when I give you this mantra, it is such a secret mantra that you should not tell loudly anywhere and you should not give this mantra to anybody who doesn't deserve it. I'm giving it to you because you are a pure devotee and the Lord has instructed me personally to give you this mantra through the priest. So then he gives the mantra, the eight-syllable mantra he gives in Ramanujacharya's years. And he says that by chanting of this mantra, one can be delivered, one can go back home, back to Godhead, to Vaikuntha. So Ramanujacharya receives this mantra from Groshti Purna and he's so happy, he feels so much bliss. And then when he's walking back to Sri Rangam, he's thinking in his mind that this mantra is so powerful that it can take anyone back to Godhead, the chanting of this mantra. So why I should keep it just with me? Why can't I spread it to everybody so that all, all people, all conditioned souls are benefited by this mantra and they all can then go back to Godhead? So with that deep compassion in his heart, like we saw in today's purport, Prabhupada talking about Narad Muni, that no material experts can put impediment in the path of spiritual experts like Narad Muni who are wanting to spread the Hare Krishna Mahamantra everywhere. So same way we see Ramanujacharya as well. With deep compassion in his heart, he knew he was going against the order of his guru, Goshti Purna. But that compassion overwhelmed him to then take that decision of giving this mantra to everybody. So he climbs, you know, there is a place called Tirkotayur. If you go to South India, the temple is still there. You know, there was a Vishnu temple in Tirkotayur. He climbs on the top of that mountain, of that temple, the dome of that temple, and he loudly proclaims. He says, everybody gather over here. I have a very great treasure to give all of you, which will deliver y'all from the clutches of birth and death. And when he proclaims that, thousands and thousands of people gather around that Vishnu temple. And then standing on top of that dome, he gives the mantra out loudly to all of them, Om Namo Narayanaya. So he gives that mantra to everybody and he says, chant this mantra every day and you will definitely go back to Godhead. It will deliver you to the lotus feet of Lord Vishnu. So everybody, like because they were receiving this mantra from such a pure devotee like Ramanujacharya, everybody was feeling devotional ecstasy. And they were all chanting with Ramanujacharya, Om Namo Narayanaya. And when Ghoshti Purna heard this, he initially became externally very angry. And he came to meet Ramanujacharya and he told him that, I told you not to give this mantra to anybody. It is a secret mantra and here you are standing on the top of a temple and proclaiming it loudly and giving to everybody. Now, you know, because of doing this aparad, you are going to go to hell. Are you realizing that? And then Ramanujacharya falls at the feet of his guru and he tells him, he says that what is the harm if this one soul, Ramanuja, goes to hell? and suffers in hell for millions of lifetimes, but if everybody else is getting delivered and going back to Godhead, 
How does it matter if this one insignificant jiva goes to hell? And when Goshti Purna heard this from the, you know, coming from the lotus mouth of Ramanujacharya, his heart completely melted. And he realized that this is a great devotee who has come to actually spread Vaishnavism, who has come to show great compassion and who has come to take all these suffering conditioned souls back to the lotus feet of Lord Vishnu. So that time he embraces him and he says that, no, you are actually a true devotee. I did not realize and I do not have this compassion in my heart. So this was Ramanujacharya's compassion. And there's so many, so many things we can learn. But one aspect, you know, synthesizing this with Lord Chaitanya, like Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So the, Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took two aspects from each Sampradaya. And from the Ramanuja Sampradaya, from uh, Sri Vaishnava Sampradaya, uh, Lord Chaitanya actually took the two aspects of unalloyed devotion, which means Ananya Bhakti, which is free from karma and jnana, and also Bhakta Jana. Bhakta Jana Seva, that means service to Vaishnavas. These are the two aspects which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took from Ramanuja, from Sri Sampradaya, from the teachings of Ramanujacharya. So Ramanujacharya spread Vaishnavism throughout um, India. He, his main purpose of descending was, because he was the first Acharya who came after Sri uh, Sripad Sankaracharya had disappeared. So monism, like you know, was spread throughout Mayavad philosophy was spread throughout India and his main purpose of coming was to defeat that Mayavad philosophy and to establish the pristine teachings of devotional service and the personal form of Lord, worshipping the personal form of the Lord in the hearts of people and that is what he came to achieve. And then we see Madhavacharya came like many other Acharyas came who actually carried forward the work of Ramanujacharya. But Ramanujacharya was the pioneer in this particular endeavor to wipe out monism or Mayavada a philosophy from the world and to establish Vaishnavism in the world. So we'll end the class here. It's very late. Um, any questions, comments, corrections? How do we compare Hare Krishna with Om Namo Narayana? So um, the, the purpose of every Sampradaya is um, different. So although all are pure Vaishnava Sampradayas, but the goal of the devotional service which is practiced under the umbrella of that Sampradaya are different. So when we see Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he came to pro propagate pure love for Krishna. Obviously we know he is Radharani who came in the form of um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to taste that bliss and to spread. Uh, to give that pure love of Krishna and to deliver everyone back to the lotus feet of Radha and Krishna. So he, he came to spread that but you know, being the servant of the servant of the servant of the gopis, following in the footsteps of the gopis. So he came to give us that Vraja Bhakti, that pure love for Radha and Krishna. And if you see Ramana, Sri Sampradaya or Ramanujacharya uh, Darshanam, you know, his, his Sampradaya, their they uh, worship of the Supreme Lord is in um, awe and reverence. So they follow more of Dasya Bhav. And therefore we see the mantra also has that effect. So Om, Om Namo Narayana is a mantra which will help people worship the Supreme Lord in that awe and reverence. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to give the higher rasas, like you know the Sakya Ras, Vatsalya Ras, and obviously Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave, came to give us the highest, which is Madhurya Ras. But we see in Sri Sampradaya the, 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 that, oh my Lord, you are the Supreme Lord and I am your insignificant servant and my duty is to worship you. So there is a lot of awe and reverence, but obviously we don't look down on that because that is also a pure, you know, teachings. Dasyaras is also extremely exalted. 
So, but that, that is the goal of that particular sampradaya and the mantra which is the, chanted in that particular sampradaya. Whereas the Hare Krishna Mahamantra is to give us highest Madhurya Bhav to the lotus feet, at the lotus feet of Radha and Krishna. So that is what we can see. So we are very fortunate and we should take full benefit of being attached to this particular sampradaya where Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came himself, Krishna came himself to give um, Madhurya Bhakti to all of us. Thank you. Thank the you, Baruch. Uh, you mentioned four oysters to approach the Lord. One was that was eating on the train. What was the other one? Uh, bhai. Fear. Bhaya. Fear. Fear. Asha. Asha means desire. Out of lots of desires, they approach the Lord. Fear, desire, duty, and prema. Yes, that is what we see Rupa Goswami saying. So, shiksha or diksha. But we have, to be, we have to be attached. Like we have to, obviously we know that we, everybody has to have a guru so that the guru can deliver back, somebody back to Godhead. One should not endeavor or think that on their own strength they can go back to Godhead. But that guru should be within one of these four bona fide sampradayas. Whether it's diksha guru or siksha guru. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, in, I don't know, again, speaking of myself, in ISKCON, we tend to look down on Vaikuntha and Goloka is very high, but Vaikuntha is also in the spiritual world. It is very difficult to just go out of this material world. It is difficult even to just go out of this bodily consciousness. What to speak of then practicing, you know, pure love for uh, the Lord. Again, I'm speaking of my, for myself, but yes, it is a very high destination to achieve, even Vaikuntha Bhakti. Oh, do you wanted to come in something? Very true, Prabhuji. Thank you. <laughs> He's the most magnanimous avatar who has come in this world to deliver all of us. So yeah, thank you, Prabhuji. <laughs> Any other questions? Highest is? The highest is of Krishna. Um, is, is it Prema, Prema. So Srila Prabhupada translates uh, Krishna consciousness as devotional service, not just devotion. So when we talk about love, like you know, love is not lip service. Like, oh, I love you. It's not like that. You know, even with children, parents have that expectation. And obviously, children should do that. They, they, they don't just say, I love you to their parents, but don't serve them. Yes. 
So extrapolating that same principle, when we talk about love, we talk about devotion, it is not just lip service where we say, oh my Lord, I love you, and then doing whatever we want and not following the instructions of the Lord. So it is also serving the Lord and, you know, with a child. Again, you know, talking of that example of mother, father, and a child, the best service a child can do to the mother, father is following the instructions of the mother and father, being obedient to their... Um, to, to their instructions. So that is what Srila Prabhupada also translates devotion as. He says it's not devotion, it's not an armchair philosophy, but it is active devotional service to the Lord, following his instructions and serving him in the way that he has instructed us to serve him. So that is, that is the definition of love, where we are actually following the instructions of the Lord and his representatives and the Guru, and we are serving the Lord in the way that has been described in the Shastras. Yes. Yeah, I heard about it. Thank you. Thank you, Prabhuji. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Prabhuji, for bringing that aspect of, yeah, the statue of Ramanujacharya was inaugurated very recently by the Prime Minister himself of India. It's a beautiful statue, and it's a great step forward for Vaishnavas, so that's really nice, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, sometimes the Lord covers the holy places. He does not reveal it to everybody. Yes, Prabhuji. Thank you, Prabhuji. So have I understood correctly? If Goshti Purna was a Brahmana, why didn't he see, why didn't he give Ramanujacharya the mantra in the first instance itself? Why did he didn't see him as being pure? Uh, very nice question. So um, I think there are two aspects in this. One was uh, Goshti Purna, like, you know, before a guru initiates a disciple, he always has to test the disciple to see whether the disciple um, is, really in, is really having that intense desire 
to take the initiation or to get that mantra and whether he is actually ready to go through the wait period or to do those austerities which are required then to get that mantra, whether he is ready to purify himself. So that is one aspect where, you know, Ghoshti Purna wanted to really ensure that he is giving the mantra to the right person. Because if he gives the mantra prematurely, then, you know, the value of the mantra might not be felt by the disciple and he might not take it with as much devotion as he would have normally uh, otherwise taken because he was made to wait. So that was one way of Goshti Purna actually wanting to test Ramanujacharya's determination in getting this mantra. And on the other hand, also obviously Ramanujacharya's glories were revealed through this pastime. That he did not, he did not give up so easily. Even though he had to travel a 17 times, he still traveled on foot back and forth, back and forth. So it's a great um, uh, lesson for all aspiring disciples to learn that if your guru is making you wait, that's okay. Like be patient, keep doing your devotional service nicely and one day you will get the mercy of the guru. So both these aspects come out through this. Thank you. So we'll end the class here. Granthraj Srimad Bhagavatam ki, Srila Prabhupada ki, Jai Nitai Gaur Premanande.